When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. It's December 9th, 1960, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Let me take you to a residential street in Greater Manchester where former corner shop owner Elsie Lappin has a few words of wisdom for the new proprietor. I won't do the accent. Now, the first thing you have to do is get a sign writer in. That thing above the door will have to be changed. Sensible advice indeed, but notable as being the first lines ever spoken in the first episode of Coronation Street, the world's longest running soap opera, which first aired today in history in 1960. And it was far from expected that it would go on to be the world's longest running soap opera. Tony Warren, the writer of this pilot episode and indeed the whole original run of 13 episodes wrote just 13 episodes, clearly expecting that it was likely to be cancelled. Yeah, that's right. So it actually came to him when he was on a train to Manchester late at night, and he wanted to create a series that was about the ordinary uh, lives of people just living on a Manchester street. But his initial idea was rejected by Granada Television founder Sidney Bernstein, but a another producer called Harry Elton persuaded Bernstein to give it another look. And Granada had this particular kind of problem from their point of view, which is that they were obliged by regulations to reflect the North because they were based in Manchester, but they felt London was prestige and quality. Newscasters spoke with RP accents. Mm. If you're going to do a kitchen sink drama, it should be written by Harold Pinter. That was the kind of mentality they had. So the idea of reflecting actually mundane, like suburban terraced house living from Manchester made in Manchester, Mm. even though that seems like a really obvious idea now. It seems obvious to us now because Coronation Street was made. Before then, it was not obvious. They were making westerns to go out on Granada. Well, and it wasn't that there was no northern (laughs) representation in the media. It's just that it was all pretty po-faced and sad. You know, we keep saying kitchen sink dramas, but the point of those, stuff like, you know, a Saturday night and Sunday morning that was set in the Midlands and the North, was that they were about angry young men. They were about Mm. deprivation and factories and class conflict. And they didn't have any of what... Corrie would bring, which was the you know the Humor. warmth and the wit, warmth. yeah, mm, yeah. People who don't feel trapped by their situations, like some of the yeah. characters do. There's a character who's straight out of prison, isn't there, and he can't get a job. So they've, you've got those those sort of working class Salford storylines in there. But there's a lot of people who are very happy and mm. like going to the Rovers' return for a pint and like chatting over the counter in the in the news agents, and it's about their lives as well. Yeah, I suppose it's true that this was one of the early moments where characters on television were allowed to use dialect-style accents. And, you know, for people to be hearing terms like Echuk and Nort and Bayek and all of that stuff, (laughs) 
and forgive me for <laughs> so <laughs> you know. we're just gonna we're just gonna do let's do a bonus section where we just have where, you read out northern different expressions where, yeah. and see what comes out there's another interesting story about one of his inspirations which was that tony warren as a youngster i mean he was young when this aired he was 24 when the first episode of coronation street went out but he had started out as a child actor on the radio and he actually met several of the actors who would go on to be in coronation street you know when they were adults and he was a child actor including violet carson who would famously go on to play ina sharples who was the original legendary battle axe of Corrie. apparently she once threatened to smack his bottom if he didn't calm down <laughs> but he remembered her once reciting a dialect poem during a break in rehearsals called boaton's yard which describes residents of a street so it's you know at number four there's so-and-so so-and-so at number six there's bloody blah, blah, blah and that was another one of his inspirations and you can see that in this first episode where each house is introduced by a sort of static shot of a front door which was actually a photo because the sets themselves were really really shonky and you mm. could see that they were studio backdrops so they used actual photos of a real street as kind of like an introductory almost like a photo caption well remember everyone was watching on tiny tv screens as well so they wouldn't have necessarily <laughs> seen the quality difference and it was transmitted live because that's how things used to work back then wow. so you needed a cast that not only he trusted from his days as a child actor and he knew them but it a cast that could actually pull it out the bag on live TV and improvise if things went wrong. And therefore, in his view, had to be, basically had to be from Salford, although he compromised a bit and was like, they need to be from the north. He took characters' surnames from headstones in local graveyards. He wanted that authenticity. Yeah, and that led to enormous ratings. You know, Coronation Street reached number one in the TV ratings and remained there for the rest of the year. And uh, in 1961, a television audience measurement showed that 75% of available viewers had tuned into Corrie. And by 1964, the program had over 20 million regular viewers. But early critics didn't necessarily agree. And I do feel sorry for these people who, like, there must have been a review written in most of the papers but there's only ever like that one or two that make it mm. to the internet era and then they're like relentlessly pilloried for how wrong they were <laughs> but and in this case it's the turn of ken Irwin, the daily mirrors tv critic to you know take this one on the chin he said there is little reality in this new serial which apparently we will have to suffer twice a week if only he knew uh, he says the program is doomed from the outset with its dreary signature tune and grim scene of a row of terraced houses and smoking chimneys and it's weird how the idea that seeing a row of terraced houses yes. on your screen was inherently a grim prospect is yes, really yes. really telling it, really telling and actually it is interesting that the most critical reviews came from the left-leaning press Here's the man from the New Statesman, quote, a lie from start to finish, if it is supposed to represent any recognisable aspect of life. Hmm. Here's Mary Crozier in The Guardian, based in Manchester. So much of television seems to show us domestic nattering that I often do not know whether I'm watching a kitchen comedy or an advertisement for gas cookers. So she was sort of <laughs> saying it looked like an ad, you know, an attempt to reflect real life, but it wasn't. That was the main criticism. People did live in terraced houses, and there were still old women that put curlers in their hair. And it wasn't saying this is everybody, but it was saying this is an accurate reflection of a part of the world that's never been on TV before. And a lot of people didn't like it, I think partly because you're coming into the 60s and you think if you work for those titles, well, if we're going to start representing working class people in Manchester, we want them to be aspirational, not looking like this. I mean, that Daily Mirror criticism sounds like it was made by someone who actually tuned out after the opening credits because, admittedly, there is a sort of mournful quality to the Corrie music. Then once the program starts, it is just people living their ordinary lives that are filled usually with sort of pleasant minutiae. It does set you up for a show that could 
could be heading towards being sad in tone, but that's not the tone of Corey. It's quite celebratory, actually. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny. This is actually the second time I'd seen it. I watched it in the BFI's media library years ago, out of choice, because that's what I like to do for fun. <laughs> Such a rommel. I know. But, the, you know, the rhythm is there of the dialogue. You're right yes. from episode one, you can feel... And it's amazing when you think the actors are doing it live. They're rattling off all of, the, like, all of these great one-liners. But it does feel very natural. It doesn't feel like someone's sitting down at a typewriter thinking, oh, this will be something funny for them to say. I mean, the line that Ina Sharples says where she's talking about she's in the uh, when she's in the corner shop and she's asking the woman where she used to live and she says, oh, Esmeralda Street. And she says, very bay window down there. It's just yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's good. It's funny it, and clever. It sounds yeah. like a line from Victoria Wood or the royal family, doesn't it? There's another bit where they're in the shop where she introduces one of the characters to the audience and she says, this is Linda Shavinsky. She married a Pole. Which is just so... It's like Alan Bennett, like precision. Although one thing that he didn't get right was his initial idea for what the show was going to be called. He wanted to call it Florizel Street after Prince Florizel from Sleeping Beauty. That Salford icon. <laughs> well, so, so they did actually change it to Coronation Street, apparently because a tea lady at Granada Studios said that uh, Florizel sounded like a brand of disinfectant. <laughs> so they decided to name it Coronation Street uh, due to the fact that the fictional street would have been built just after King Edward VII's coronation in 1902. Yeah, Agnes the Tea Lady is credited with quite a lot of creative decisions on <laughs> Coronation Street. But, but I think that's because um, Warren and that producer you mentioned, the Canadian, Harry Elton, they knew that they needed to consult the ordinary people that worked at Granada in the support services because it was a show for them, not for people to watch in London, about how it worked and, and what they thought of it. Do you know what a bay window is, lady? <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that one of the things that Elton did to try and convince Bernstein to greenlight it beyond the first pilot, he... In, without permission, showed it to everybody who worked in Granada in a lunch break and got them oh, to wow. fill out forms saying what they thought of it and then handed it to Bernstein on his desk and was like, look, it's cutting through with this audience that we don't normally reach. Interestingly, before they had a permanent exterior set, the iconic shot at the beginning with the cat on the rooftop was a real street, um, Archie Street, and the Liverpool Echo went there to interview people who actually lived there about how they felt about being Coronation Street, effectively. Um, <laughs> And again, fascinatingly, they weren't happy with that representation. They're quoted mm. as being miffed about the fact that, you know, no one walks around with hair curlers in. There are no dirty milk bottles on our doorstep. Mm. <laughs> Whereas these were literally the streets that had inspired Tony Warren to write it. And in fact, what happened to Archie Street was it was demolished as part of a slum clearance program, which was exactly what Tony Warren was going to have happen to Coronation Street in episode 13 if the show had been cancelled. Oh, wow, what a great <laughs> finale. That's so yeah. apocalyptic. <laughs> and so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.